You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of Doc Jock, right here on the Fantasy Sports Network. I am Greg Sussman, joined by the good doctor, as always, Dr. Mitchell Roslin. Doc, how are you, sir? Doing well, Greg. I wish I was from Austin today instead of uh, from, from New York City. It's, it's great to be a Boston fan, I guess, these days. It's, unbel- it's unbelievable, Doc, because this is the longest drought for a New York championship in about 100 years. Boston, on Sunday night, wins Game 2 of the ALCS. They win against the best team in the NFL, undefeated Kansas City Chiefs in Foxborough. All is right in New England, and here we are in New York, looking at one miserable football team, one simply mediocre football team, two baseball teams that didn't get the job done, hockey teams that are going nowhere, and then we have the Knicks who are, you know, whatever. Who are prepared to tank this year, and, and, and the Knicks are playing to... Hopefully, get Kevin Durant. I mean, I think that's, that's God willing, right? That, that's that's the thing. I, you know, and, and I think that actually strange place to start, but really makes sense from a career perspective for Kevin Durant because he went with the Warriors yep. who had already won before. Yes, and now LeBron's getting older, and if he really wants his legacy to be that he can take something to the promised land that wasn't already there, what a, what a better place to do it than on 34th Street. You know, it's amazing. Uh, Kevin Durant and LeBron James both already have, I believe, four championships apiece, maybe three championships apiece, um, with LeBron and Kevin Durant. And LeBron proved he could do it himself. He did it in Cleveland, and yeah, he went, to a, he went from a washed-up, Heat, uh, heat team back to Cleveland where it was a little bit younger and he could mold it his way and he did it. You saw the emotion coming out of his face. Kevin Durant kind of taking the same strategy, right? Went to Golden State for a team that's already made won his titles. Now he has to see if he could do it himself and where better place to do it than here in New York City. Although I would argue that the Golden State team was much more of a lock than the Wade Bosch LeBron team. The, well, the, don't forget LeBron came. The Wade championship was you know a few years before. Sure, definitely. And that team was was on the decline when LeBron came. I mean, Kevin Durant went to. We were arguing a, about a great team that was transcending the sport at that time with best you know, record ever. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> and 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 then you added and and yes, he's played incredibly well in 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 the champion in in the championship series, but they're able to give each of those players, you know, a, a vacation and still be way better. If, if he could do it here, that would truly change his legacy. And I think that that's kind of what the Knicks have been putting in place for a long period of time. And I think that what's interesting is, you know, they're really going, I think this morning I was looking and they were ranked 27th in the NBA, and that may be, you know, kind. Um, but they're playing for next year. And you can get away with that in the NBA, but you really can't get away with that in the NFL because the careers are too short. So even if New Yorkers are feeling that the Giants should tank so they can get this year's best quarterback, you know, that may actually have the opposite effect. You put people in who are hungry, they can actually have... The, the, the opposite effect. Before we move on to the NFL, the NBA does open up tomorrow night. Uh, Warriors, once again, the heavy favorites to repeat as champions for the third consecutive time, fourth time um, in five years. LeBron begins his interesting title march out there in L.A. with the Lakers with a totally different team than we're used to seeing around him. What do you believe, Doc, are the most important and interesting storylines as we kick off the NBA season? You know, so I think that you, you start with the, you know, again, who's going to come out of the LeBronless East is obviously definitely. Something. So the three teams that come to mind have to be Boston, mm-hmm. uh, Philadelphia, definitely, and Toronto. Well, there's a fourth team, too, that comes to mind, and that's Milwaukee with Giannis. I, I just don't see Milwaukee top to bottom. I, I think Giannis is terrific, but I, you know, and I think Middleton's a nice player, and on makers, athletic, I, I don't see the consistency across the board, especially, 
you know, you, you look at the Boston team, and, and, and I hope he comes back all the way. I know he had somewhat of a setback where they had to take the hardware out. But Gordon Haywood is an absolutely terrific player, player yeah. and, and, and doesn't need the ball to be a terrific player. So you're adding Gordon Haywood. Um, you have a healthy, uh, you know, hopefully Kyrie Irving for, for the season who is definitely a difference maker. Tatum should only get better. Um, and they were able to keep, you know, obviously Rozier, I think, is extremely talented. But Marcus Smart is a really tough basketball player. And I think Brad Stevens is the best coach in the sport. I so, agree. And I think Brad Stevens, so, many people were actually saying that could be in line to be the next coach of Team USA, potentially, after Greg Popovich. I, I don't think they could make a better choice. And then you go into the mystery team has got to be Toronto. And then the other wild card in all this is where Jimmy Butler winds up. Because Jimmy Butler, although we have talked why I wouldn't want to give him $90 million, I wouldn't want to give, Ky- I mean, $190 million. <laughs> I, I, I got my decimals a little. I wouldn't want to do that with Kyrie, Kyrie, uh, Kyrie I'll get my Kyrie's in Kyrie's. Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard, Leonard and Kyrie, Kyrie Irving. It gets a little bit hard. Um, especially with the accent, especially with the New York accent, um, landed a hundred and ninety million. But that's an interesting place to start because, you know, people ask about that, and 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 I read the entire ESPN story last year. Yep, John Gershon, who's at Mount Sinai, who's an excellent sports medicine doctor, is a very good friend of mine. Okay, um, and. I read everything about this, and I have absolutely no clue what he had. No clue whatsoever. Do you think it was real? Well, I'm never going to question what somebody feels, but what I will explain to people is that in medicine we have the subjective, which is what you feel and what you tell us. Then we have the objective, which is our physical exam and our imaging studies. And when the subjective and the objective match, we usually are pretty good about making a diagnosis and a prognosis. When you take something that you can't define, you can only say that the subjective complaints did not match the radiographic imaging. And we have great imaging today with MRIs and things like that. that that's why Popovich was saying, ask the player. I have no idea when he's coming back. Don't ask us. And... It's such a strange story, and I, I, you know, now he says he's ready to play. I, I don't really know what that means. I don't know if it was real, if it was something super tentorial, which basically means that he feels it's there, or it was a contract negotiation ploy, or he got angry. It, it, it all doesn't add up. And at first he said he wasn't going to play for Toronto, and now he's extre- healthy. So I think that's like the million-dollar mystery. I have, I have no clue. I just know that I would never sign a player when the subjective or objective don't match because I'd be concerned that I couldn't figure out prognosis or value. Yeah, and it was really, really tough all year last year with Kawhi Leonard. And you brought up Craig Popovich's quote, which I thought made a lot of sense. And amazingly enough, the second he's traded to Toronto, back on the court, full five out of five, full scrimmaging, preseason games, the whole deal. Very awkward situation, certainly out there, uh, with Kawhi Leonard, Greg Popovich, and now the Toronto Raptors as well. And, well, you know, again, I think Toronto made the right decision. You know, how many years are you going to just do the same thing and not shake it up? So to take a flyer on that completely makes sense. Well, it's it's interesting because you give up your your anchor player, in all honesty, um, in DeMar DeRozan for one year of Kawhi, who has said, I want to go play in L.A., and what's really interesting about that is you go, you give it a go uh, for one year. And if Kawhi leaves, he leaves, but you're free of DeRozan's contract and you're in a really nice position to kind of manipulate yourself because, as you said, Doc, they can win 60, 70, 80, 90 games. They can never get past LeBron. They can never get over the hump. And DeMar Rosen is a great basketball player, but say that Steph Curry is the player of today. Right. DeMar Rosen would have been all-world back before the three. Yeah. So, well, that's what Nick Nurse was trying to tell him last year, right? You need DeRozan to take more three-pointers. There were three good shots in basketball. If 
you look at it analytically. Three pointer, foul shot, and a, a dunk. dunk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. The in and when basketball. When I learned about basketball, I learned about basketball revolving around the post and totally different game. From the inside, you played basketball from the inside out. So in other words, you got the ball inside, and then if people collapsed around, the, you pushed it back out. Now, you know, actually, and I think the person who actually brought all a lot of this spread offense was D'Antoni, which is interesting because D'Antoni's playing more pick and roll than anybody else these sure. days, which just goes to show that he's actually a really good basketball coach and can change with his talent and understands matchup. But basketball now is played from the outside in. Okay, where you want to keep the middle open for your slashers and the more long twos that you play. You know, if I lose a game based on a lot of long twos, I say, so what? I I lost. They outplayed me. I lost. So now you want to take away the three. You want to take away the dunk. And you want to keep people off the foul line. You do those three things, you win. DeMar Rosen scores more long twos than virtually anybody else in basketball. So he doesn't really dunk or take it to the rim like, like a train like LeBron, and he's not a drop-dead three-point shooter. And I think that hurts in the playoffs. I think you have to be designed to do those type of things today. I agree with you. And, and ultimately, the NBA has changed, and I, and I think for the better. And I think the East is going to be really, really interesting uh, overall with Toronto and with Milwaukee. Um, and with Boston, certainly, and Philadelphia. Boston, just on paper, just so, so loaded. And uh, Philadelphia, people think, are going to take a step back. So I'm really interested, interested to see the East almost as much as I am interested to see the West, where there is so much power, there are so many talented players, where a team that I really like, the Pelicans, it's going to be tough for them to do anything. Yeah, well, the God is really good, and Davis is terrific. Drew Holiday is awesome, yeah. Okay, and, 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 and they have a shot. And, you know... While he's in the league, every conversation has to start with LeBron. I have watched basketball my entire life. I remember the Knicks team, you know, the Knicks 19-game winning streak, which at that time was the record that they set against the Pistons, where they won the game with one second left in their first championship season, which was the 69-70 season. I really remember that whole thing. I absolutely believe... And again, a lot of people are going to call in and tell me I'm crazy. That LeBron James is the best basketball player I've ever seen. Yep. And that includes Michael Jordan. And second, I would actually say, and potentially first, would be Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay. You know, what people don't realize is Jordan was a great finisher. Going back to Georgetown, great shooter, you know, great competitor, you know, and a, a, a very, very good defensive player. But he was... 6'4 and skinny. This guy is 6'9, built like a freight train. And, you know, I want to remind people that that without Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls were a Hugh Holland's bad call from winning another championship. Sure. So he was on a really, really good team. You know, Phil Jackson won a lot of championships, but he never won a championship without the best talent in the league. Of course. Okay? But with both with the Bulls and with the Lakers. LeBron, you know, I've often felt that if you traded LeBron to any team's best player and you just left the other 10, that he'd take that team to the semifinals. Mm -hmm. And so I think the Lakers are going to be really, really interesting. And I just wouldn't bet against him. I think, again, going back to what, what I think their limitation is, if they can find a J.J. Redick, you know, somebody who's a spot-down shooter, yep. and I don't think, you know, Kuzma's probably their best shooter, that's where I think that they're really lacking on that Laker team. You know, I think that they can compete with anybody besides the Warriors. No one's competing with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Warriors, with today's rules, where they have now avoided hand-checking, and now you can't even hand-check away from right. the ball— you know, this Warrior team is just set up for today. Short of injury, the Warriors are really set. I think Portland takes a step back. I agree. Okay? I think Portland takes a step back. I, I mean, I think that I have not seen anything from Carmelo Anthony to make me believe that Houston is better with him than they were. Without with, him? Well, 
Trevor they also Ariza. lost Trevor Ariza. Yeah. It was actually a, another draft pick by Isaiah Thomas yeah. going back, mm-hmm. you know, who actually did have a reasonable eye, eye for talent. So I think that's really interesting. And I think that the NBA is set up, you know, we were talking about how the future looks really, really bright for the NBA. Yeah. I mean, they have, my, my eight-year-old knows Steph Curry, you know, He knows LeBron, obviously, but kids seem to love Steph Curry. Mm -hmm. They have the stars that people relate to more so than any other sport. No doubt about it. And the NBA, absolutely in a fantastic place. A sport that we said was potentially dying a couple of weeks ago is Major League Baseball, who are in the midst uh, of their playoffs down to the Final Four right now. Good ALCS and NLCS, both teams, uh, both series tied at one at the moment. And we've talked a lot about how the game has changed with the bullpens rather than uh, the starters. But it's interesting because tonight, game three between Milwaukee and L.A., brutal luck for MLB because it's at 8 o'clock, featuring a team from Milwaukee, playing at the same time as the Green Bay Packers play at home uh, on Monday night football. Just a sense of where things are, where the Brewers are in the final four for the first time in God knows how long. And it's a... You know, it's a game against one of the worst teams in the NFL between Green Bay and San Francisco, and you know that the rating for Green Bay and San Francisco is going to dwarf what the rating is for baseball, which is kind of a sad state of affairs. Well, there's, there's no question that the NFL sells, rules the world. And, and, and obviously, you know, this would have been a different game without the, with, with Jimmy Garoppolo in it, who, who gave him, you know, interesting, what his salary cap hit was this year was $37 million. Um, that being said... I've enjoyed the baseball postseason because you have starters relieving, you have relievers starting, and I think that we're also going through a, a, another change in baseball, probably brought on by, by, by the shifts, and, and that is I think that the player of the future is going to be a lot like Alex Bregman, third baseman sure. of the Houston Astros. Yeah. Okay, I think that you, you know we made this point about one of the local teams and I, you know how the Mets – had the least athleticism. You know, if it was the back of a Stratomatic card or the back of a baseball card when they started the seasons, the home runs would have looked fine. But when you looked at them on an athletic field, they just weren't athletic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only athlete they had that they were playing was the shortstop. It was the least athletic team that could have possibly ever been put on the right. f- a, 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 a field. And what happened besides the first 10-game winning streak, was predictable. Mm-hmm. So I think that what you're seeing now is you're going to go back to in players who can actually put the bat on the ball and make pitches work and take teams out of these shifts, which I think you, you could do with some degree of strategy. And I think that transition is beginning to happen. And I think it's encouraging that we have young managers that are willing to think somewhat differently, all with different takes on it, but Craig Council, Dave Roberts, uh, Hinch, and, and, and obviously Alex Cora, they really don't seem to be as reliant on, on, on past precedent. They seem to be willing to change. So I think that's, that's some, some degree of excitement. I think the Boston-Houston series is a great series. I mean, I think those are two terrific baseball teams going on, and I I think Chris Sale will probably be okay. It sounds like he probably went to the hospital for some degree of hydration with some sort of uh, stomach virus, and, and it's glad to see because he's an exceptional talent. The other series is, is interesting because you have the classic pitcher, even though Young and Beulah, going against Milwaukee when you, you just they might try to take him out of the game after the third batter. 100%. And, 100%. And, you know, can you win that way? They certainly believe you can. So, but... You know, football's not without its problems either. It, I watched something really, really interesting, and then I listened to the podcast. There was an article okay. about Alan Sills, who's the chief medical officer for the NFL, and ESPN is doing a special television cast, and there was a podcast about it. And it was about the concussions, but more it was about the NFL's preparation for medical things before a game. And Alan Sills, who happens to be a well-respected academic neurosurgeon, 
tells you how far the NFL has come in this because the original medical officer that they, that, that they hired to oversee the concussion was somebody by the name of Elliot Pellman who had really no credentials whatsoever. I thought Dr. Joe Maroon was in charge of it. Pellman was the, the okay. initial, initial person who was actually an internist that worked with the Jets. Okay. And now they have a chief medical officer who's an academically respected neurosurgeon, a, a real doctor and you know, a, a marvelous academic physician who cares a lot, who's put together a whole plan of action for the NFL, meaning that at every single game, they not only have spotters on the field, they have spotters in the booth, they have each team's training standpoint, they each have their own medical staffs, the road team has an appointed medical staff in case of an emergency, mm -hmm. one of their players, and they even have a board-certified anesthesiologist on the field in case they need an emergent airway. They, an hour before the game, they meet to yep. go through every single scenario in case there's a Ryan Shazier moment on the field. Okay. All of these things, I think, are absolutely wonderful. The problem that I hear here and that I throw out to you to get your reaction as somebody yep. who's younger and getting married sure. is if the NFL has to do this, okay, I understand like seven-year-olds can't hit hard enough, but you get to the high school level. You get to Division three college. You get to Division two college. Yep. I'm not talking about Alabama playing Georgia where they have the money to duplicate the same thing. Right. Is this a standard that we need? And at the same week, CNN did their annual article mm -hmm. that basically shows that one thing that we know, that somewhere between 5 and 15 high school kids die playing football per year. So is this now the standard that we need to make football safe? And if it is, is that a standard that anyone could meet? Because when something happens or you know, you, a parent stands up and says, well, this is what the NFL does, I think that it's, you know, a little bit concerning. I'm curious to see what your reaction is. I think that, into, like, as you said, I'm, I'm getting married, and I will have kids at some point. And I could never let them, in today's day, play football in general, number one. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about hockey and lacrosse? <sighs> I feel stronger about football than I do hockey and lacrosse. I, would I love agree it. with you. but I, I would love it. I mean, I prefer soccer for sure and basketball and baseball. Um, tennis. Tennis. Golf would be good, yeah. Um, but... Fastest way for a Division I scholarship? Yeah. Fencing. Oh, I'll take it. That'll, that'll work. <laughs> Esports is probably on the rise too. We'll take that too. But if they were, I'd be crazy in my opinion not to want the strictest and most up-to-date and most thorough testing possible. Any parent would say that. I agree with you. Of course. So what happens, okay, this is now the standard. So, and this is the way I think differently because there is nothing about the Alan Sills interview as a physician for preparation to say, hey, you've done a great job. Right. I, I, you know, as, as a colleague or somebody in the same profession, I really think you've done a fantastic job. Now, that being said... Have we now created a standard that we're saying that it's not safe for Friday Night Lifes in Texas? I, I don't think... Short answer, yes. Yes. And that's problematic because something's going to happen. And, 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 be and, and to be clear, and to be clear when, when Doc says something's going to happen, I think we've been saying this a long time about the NFL, for the record, that something's going to happen and it's not just going to be somebody paralyzed for the rest of their lives, which we are, we've... Either seen before we came damn close with Ryan Shazier, right? Like, we've seen that. We've seen nasty concussions that have ended careers. We've seen that. We've said many times that at some point there's going to be such a nasty hit to the, the head or the neck that someone may die on the field. And we have seen people, uh, players die of dehydration. We saw it with Corey Stringer many years ago in Minnesota. We saw it with Jordan McNair at Maryland this past summer. And I think that's a really interesting point, and that's where I wanted to go next. Yeah. So the NFL has adopted from Corey Stringer because yeah. it used to be, you know, if you, could, where if you couldn't handle you know, two-a-days, you're weak, you yeah. don't belong to play. Mm -hmm. Yet 
if you read the reporting on Maryland, which you have to assume is true because they've admitted culpability. Listen, as a Maryland grad, I've read every point, every word of it. And that is essentially my point. So what happens in the NFL is the NFL adapted from Corey Stringer. They have a multi-billion dollar business of why they want to keep the public perception, which is why they put Alan Sills to go through an interview to say, look at us. Look at what we're doing. Of course they did. Okay? Right. Look at how great we've created this scenario. Okay? But the problem is that scenario can't even be duplicated at the highest level of college sports because Maryland is in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have huge amounts of money from Under yep. Armour. Okay? They yep. have, they're paying their coach, you know, DJ Jerkin, I mean, who, who's won absolutely nothing but comes out of Ohio State, mega millions of dollars. Yep. And yet it's, as Yogi Berra said, deja vu all over again. You know, the kid is struggling, and they say just run harder until he's dead. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable what happened at Maryland can continue to happen. Uh, as I said, as a graduate, it's like disgusting to me. And I, you, you look at DJ Durkin still making millions of dollars, and you wonder and you know that at these other programs, they run these kids into the ground. And their first instinct, Urban Meyer, different reasonings, but Urban Meyer and Ohio State being prime, winning and football comes first. Nothing else. Death doesn't even well, matter. Well, again, what's fascinating going on right now is, um, and, and I have friends, you know, one of my friends is, is, the, is actually an ENT surgeon right. who's the, um, you know, the, the head, I, I don't know what it's called, I think the chancellor of the University of Kansas. Okay. But if you look at, the, you look at the, the trial that's coming out in New York, there was testimony that this player, D'Souza, basically was paid by Adidas to essentially go to Kansas, and that everybody in the Kansas staff knew. What's actually remarkable, and Krzyzewski came out today that saying that basketball is clean, but the truth is there's been a lot of payola, not done directly by the schools, but done by boosters or done by the places that they have their sneaker contracts to. What's absolutely interesting, and I think this is kind of, we, we touched on this before, Urban Meyer is completely out of touch with society, but... Where are the, where's the NCAA and where's the press? I mean, it, it would seem yeah. like if Urban Meyer is the CEO and should know about the private life, yep. how can, if you have this testimony in court, yep. and I'm the CEO of Kansas basketball, there yep. is nothing going on at Kansas basketball right. that Bill Self doesn't know about. Of course not. Okay? I, feel the same way. I feel the same way about Rick Pitino. I feel the same way about Roy Williams. I feel the same way about Coach K. Like I'm, I'm literally right here. You see it. Go down my Twitter feed, and there's all this stuff about – the text messages, right? And Bill Self, it would take a thousand, thousand years of suspending disbelief to believe he didn't know everything that's going on. So the same goes for Rick Pitino not knowing everything that's going on in your program. And just the t- same goes for Joe Paterno. I told you that last week too, Mitch. The text message. Well, Paterno, like I've always said, there could be an age gap. Okay? We, we disagree. No, it's fine. And, and we can disagree because I think it was so, you know, foreign. I mean, you know... I, I, I've dealt with a lot of old, older people, yep. and, I, and I think that he, he didn't perceive. But that's, that's, you know, I think that Paterno just didn't get it, okay? Mm-hmm. I think it was just so foreign to him that he didn't get it. And that might have meant that, you know, and this, this is what happens sometimes with age. The legacy, you know, going to Eli Manning kind of ob- obscures the reality, mm-hmm. okay? And, but... There's just no way. And where the hell is the NCAA? You know, the NCAA was all over Penn State in what should have been a state crime issue. Yep. But when it comes to kind of legislating who's paying basketball players, they don't care. Right. And you know what's even remarkable for this to me is I think it's, you know, and I can understand the contracts with the schools mean something. For sure. But besides Steph Curry and Under Armour, LeBron James and Nike and a few other players. If I said, what type of sneaker does Kristaps Porzingis wear, yeah. who's in New York, would you know? No. I wouldn't know either. Mm-mm. And so that just tells me that when you're paying, you know, an AAU person, right. okay, it's like people trying to find importance. It makes no sense because 
unless you're a really top player, like I think my kid wants to wear Steph Curry's shoes. Fine. Okay? Get it. Get LeBron, Michael Jordan. Le- LeBron's. Okay? Got it. Okay? What brand, Kevin Durant, for sure. Okay? Yep. What brand is, 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 is like I said, Chris Stop? We're Nick fans. Right. We go to the games. We have no idea what right. he has on his feet. Not a clue. Okay? Not a clue. So, th- I know, and I, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not a kid, right? So, I'm not the market. But last week, I went to, I went to Foot Locker, right? And I bought these shoes. I'm like, ah, oh, these are cool. I like these. And I'm sure you hate them, but that's fine. Right, the like Carolina blue, uh, Maryland grad. Uh, right, so I got these blue. I thought they were really cool, and they were on sale. And I bought them. I found out after I bought them, Doc, that these are Pharrell Williams shoes. I had no idea. Didn't even occur to me. And again, I'm not the marketplace, and I get that. Right, I'm not playing basketball every day. I'm not an aspiring basketball player or a child athlete that wants to go uh, to my rec games and play and be like, "Look, I got these Steph Curry's." But to me, it, and this is always in me, it doesn't matter. I bought one pair ever in, uh, two pairs ever in my life of somebody's basketball shoes that I went out and got them. One Air Jordans when I was younger, because who's not buying Air Jordans? Well, in my day, it was the Clyde's Puma. Right. And then the second one was LeBron's first shoe. My dad and I went to the mall and bought LeBron's first shoe. That is it. And it's the same thing goes for Steph Curry. But every other player, these, these school com- these, um, shoe companies are, Almost needle and haystacking it, trying to hope they have the next Steph Curry. And it worked for Under Armour with Steph Curry, and it worked for Under Armour for Jordan Spieth, but more often than not, it doesn't. Now, a guy like Phil Knight, now they may invest in guys where you get a little notoriety, right? You invest in a guy that you get going to Kentucky, and there it is. It's splashed everywhere at Kentucky, and maybe that one year, you have a superstar like an Anthony Davis or Carl Anthony Towns that's wearing Nike all year long, and maybe that makes sense for you. Well, it, but more often than not, it does it's not. It's a little bit different. Also, it's, you know, I read the book Shoe Dog. It's a, an excellent book. And there's so many things that are really fascinating from the book. The first thought that comes to my mind is that um, Phil Knight mm-hmm. married a girl who was right. in his accounting class okay. when he was a professor. Mm-hmm. That can never happen again. Okay? He was actually his student. Well, he was the teacher, to be well, clear. He was teacher, well, he was the teacher. Yeah. So it just goes to show some of these relationships work. So it's, it's, it's interesting. But Nike was always kind of an underdog company. And you had Sonny Vaccaro at Five Star. And they were first to try to get into Adidas's monopoly in schools. And now Under Armour at, at Maryland doing somewhat of the same thing. Uh, most people don't realize the first athlete that Nike ever signed was, I think I told you this, Ilya Nastasi. Yeah. Tennis player. Week, yeah. Most people think it was Steve Prefontaine. So what Nike did, and they built their business somewhat different, and now there's so much money involved with, with, in, in this area that people want to do this. But it's really, really weird. And I went to see my, one of my, my college best friend. One of my college best friends uh, is the head coach at the University of Iowa. And, and his... Son is a top 30 recruit. His other son plays for the University of Iowa. So I went to see the finals of the Adidas basketball against Compton. There's no one there. I mean, this is, all of these kids are top one Division I athletes. There were more Division I coaches, and it was played in downtown in uh, Hoop City in New York. But there's, there's no people there. Right. So, so they're spending all of this money and corrupting the sport you know, just trying to make people feel important. Mm-hmm. I must be naive here. But it goes back to the point that each of these guys knows what's going on. And if the NCAA cares about fair play, why are they so quiet? And where are all the reporters right now at ESPN? And, and you see, I think there's a separate issue between whether NCAA Division One athletes should be paid and whether you should be skirting these rules for an unfair advantage. I think those are two separate issues. And if these coaches are really doing that for an unfair, then they should stand up and say, we need to come up with a way to pay these kids fairly for what they're doing or compensate if you don't think a scholarship is adequate compensation. Yeah, I, I think it's, I, f- sure. And I don't, and we talked about this, I don't think a scholarship is adequate um, compensation. And if you want to talk about that in regards to the shoe companies and the sponsorship, I'm interested. I think that's an interesting conversation, and we'll certainly have that at some point. Let's get into week six of the National Football League. It began last Thursday with the Giants and the Eagles. And, Doc, is there any question that the Giants are the worst team in the NFL? Um, 
I mean, who's the best and the worst in the NFL changes by the hour. Definitely. But I will tell you that I think that the Giants and the Oakland Raiders are in the worst shape going forward of any franchise. I would much rather be in the Cleveland Browns situation, I think, is much more optimistic than than the New York Giants. Once they change coaches, sure. Okay. The the New York Giants are, are, you know, it was interesting last night when I was watching the Patriot-Kansas City game. You saw New England running these crossing routes, no one getting near Brady. Their offensive line that looked pitiful against Detroit all of a sudden looked excellent. So I, I looked to see who they're playing because most of us couldn't name the offensive lines of these players. And it was really interesting. It wasn't number one draft picks. Their left tackle they got from the scrap heat from the San Francisco 49ers. You know, their right guard was a mid-range draft pick making $700,000. Mm-hmm. Basically, I added up the salary of their entire offensive line and it came to about $14 million. And Nate Solder against the cap for the Giants is $10 million. Okay? Now, this is the Giants' revised offensive line. A year ago, they had two number one picks and a number two pick on their offensive line. Um, you, and, you know, it's so funny. It's now four days after the game. Mm-hmm. And the dialogue begins to change. It's almost like the cycles of bereavement in the New York area. And they, it goes through first, you know, that it's Eli and the offensive line. And then as the week goes along, it becomes, it can't be Eli because he's got the Manning name in the back of his jersey. He started for 15 years. He's won two Super Bowl MVPs. And everybody talks themselves into the fact that it's the offensive line. Yeah. Let me be the first person in New York to say that the, the combination of the Berlin Wall and the Great Wall of China can't, <laughs> def- couldn't protect Eli Manning right now. And he, when you watch this, if you just, you know, and somebody else said this, you just take yeah. the, the name off the uniform. And I don't think it's physical decline. I still think he can make all of the throws, as we've seen at other times. But number one, he, you know, he... Never avoided the rush well, but he doesn't want to stay in there for escapability. Right. And we saw last night, uh-huh. we saw last night when Brady, and you know, especially in today's NFL where you can't hit the quarterback, and even when you have the quarterback, you let go of the quarterback yep. while Brady scores. You saw on the first series of the game, Eli throws the interception, yep. happens. Uh-huh. Okay? The Giants play actually pretty good defense against Carson Wentz on a third down play. They pass force him out of the pocket. He makes a ridiculous throw on the run, and that game was almost over, except for the exceptional thing with Saquon Barkley. Sure. So you're looking at a team where the quarterback can't run, the quarterback doesn't avoid the rush, Yep. the quarterback doesn't stand tall in the pocket, he has no escapability, and you know, when you pressure a veteran quarterback, and they have playmakers, Yep. and honestly... Every single week, I've been saying that Barkley's the best I've seen in a long time. I thought he was ridiculous on Thursday night. Yeah, he was incredible Thursday night. And I said this to you last week, that if the Giants draft a quarterback in this upcoming draft, you feel a lot better about everything. If they could find a talented quarterback in this upcoming draft. But going back to Eli Manning... For- but it goes deeper than that, okay? It goes deeper than that, too. I went to look at Spot Track. Just look at teams, teams that won, you know. Contracts. Contracts. And, you know, the Giants are paying Olivia Vernon yeah. $17 million. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's, you know, that's like 8%, that's 10% of your cap. Yeah. Olivia Vernon, last year they were playing Janoris Jenkins 15. He's down to $10 million. Yeah. Now let's look at the Patriots' salary. This year Brady is up to $22 million, which is the same as Eli. Yep. Their next highest paid person is Gronkowski, who's a difference maker at $11 million. Mm-hmm. Okay? Then they go to Devin McCourtney, all pro safety. Then they go to Hightower. Okay? The problem when you look at the Giants is, you know, what stuck out in my mind as being the most ridiculous, one of the most ridiculous contracts is the Giants played Jonathan Stewart to be a backup back between 3 and $4 million. Mm-hmm. I mean, Why? That, that's where you get somebody right out of college. 
And or you basically say, Jonathan, you're on fumes. You want to play for me for one one five? Fine. The Giants are paying Rhett Ellison four million dollars. Now everything you're saying, Doc, is to me obviously an indictment on a general manager. And well, both an, and general managers on general managers, plural, and on ownership that refuse that refuse to see the situation for what it was in New York. We basically treat the Maras. As their royalty, okay? Sure. You know, historically, you know, I, I, I know Willington Mara, considered a great gentleman, but the NFL, Pete Rozelle, had to go, step in because the Giants' football operation was inept to hire George Young. Mm-hmm. You know what I hate when people say, but I'm about to say, oh, which is go. terrible? Here we go. Is you take away the two Super Bowls, yeah. which you can't do because— I think the Giants and the Patriots are the only teams since 2000 that have won multiple Super Bowls. So you can't take away the greatest prize in football. Ravens have Ravens, done it. Yeah. Ravens, yeah. You can't take away the greatest prize and, and do that. But most years, they haven't done well. And you have to say, if it was Reeves and Gettleman, when are we start going to say that John Mara needs a real football person? I mean... That almost is like you're not allowed to question John Mara you know, in, in New York. You know, he's, it's the Mara family and the Rooney family, and, and, and they do things the right way. You know, I'm sorry. I, I don't get these contracts, and it goes to something you said at the very beginning, trying to put Band-Aids on things. The Jets are in a much – people always talk about Chris and Woody Johnson. They also, in this town, really, okay – really go after James Dolan. Now, James Dolan is interesting because he's a goofball, okay? But as a general manager, he seems to give people whatever they want to do. He allows them to do. I guess the exception might have been the Carmelo Anthony trade, but, but, but he pretty much allows them to do recently, whatever they want to do. Recently, that has been the case. He, is, he has been very hands-off-ish. But then, he, well, he, but, then, but then he goes, look, I'm being hands-off-ish. Look! And, and, and he's a complete goofball. Buffoon. But he's, and there's no question he's a, he's a buffoon. But there's no question that he's not cheap. Okay? Nope. He gives them financial resources. Nope. Okay? He... he, he you know, he owns, owns the building, and, you know, when people say they can't win because of James Dolan, I know that's become a very popular thing. I, I don't really understand why, because it's not like he's the Wilpons. In the last 25 years, the Giants, by the way, have won a playoff game in three of those 25 years. They went to the Super Bowl all three years, but... Right. Still. You know, but... So you look at Eli's career, one out of seven years in his career, one out of eight years in his career, he's right. won the Super Bowl. And, and that's the only time he's won playoff games. But isn't that what it's, isn't it what, what without, it's about? Without question. But you were talking about the, marriage, you, be, you were talking about the marriage being treated as royalty. You're treated as royalty, and they're, they're, they don't have this sustained success. They'd be the Jets if it wasn't for some of these victories, right? So I get it. You're not taking away the Super Bowls. I'm not trying to do that either. But the Giants have not had the success I think a lot of people believe that they have um, when you just look at it on the surface. Right, and, but, but, you know, the, the, the thought process going into last year um, is, and, and, you know, right now it's up to, I was, I was listening to Mike Francesa coming down here saying, well, you know, it's the offensive line and Deshaun Watson's gotten sacked and Mariota's gotten sacked. You know, the, the bottom line is you look at Beckham's comments and, you know, it's kind of really, really, really interesting. No, no one talked about is Sherma had Beckham returning a punt yeah. with no time left yeah. in the clock. Well, it's clear it was he was angry, and he said, "Go do this." Now you never punish, you should never punish your highest paid player and your superstar by putting him out there with a bunch of third stringers. And we saw Mark Sanchez several years ago with the Jets. But uh, very, very interesting. As a doctor, Doc, that was weird. As a doctor, Mitch. Yesterday, in that Rams game, seeing Cooper Cup go down with the um, horse collar tackle, and I thought he immediately tore his Achilles, he was carted off with a knee injury, and very, very serious looking. Very serious looking. One of the, they went um, to the locker room, they went to the sideline reporter, and she goes, listen, he was very stoic out here. When he got back to the locker room, he grimaced. He could not put any weight on his left leg. It was clearly his knee. He's questionable to return, but this looks very serious. 
Next time you see the Rams game on the Red Zone channel right after halftime, there's Cooper Cup back in the game. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, that serious looking, that serious sounding, that serious feeling. Carted off. Now, he wasn't himself. He was in and out of the game a lot in, in the second half. But have you ever seen anything like that? Well, so let me tell you what they do do. I did Please. not see the injury. So what they basically test for is, and the limitations is what's called the drawer test, they're testing for stability of the knee. Okay. So when, 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 when you know, there's a difference between the television comments and reality. I always loved when Aaron Rodgers came back to the game. The doctor told him he could do no further damage. Yeah. Go ask Robert Griffin the third. Sure. Okay. You, you see non-contact injuries all the time. So a doctor can never say you'll do no further damage. What yeah. a doctor can tell you is that your knee is stable. There's yep. no vascular injury. What they were probably concerned with is a posterior dislocation. Yes. They made sure that the knee and the posterior dislocation is right near the popliteal artery. That's kind of when they talked about Teddy Bridgewater's injury. It was both ligaments and a posterior dislocation. That was the vascular type of injury, I would imagine, because the popliteal artery is right there. So what they've determined is that vascularly is intact, neurologically he's intact, and the knee is stable, meaning that when they move the knee, the ligaments feel grossly intact. Once that's done, it becomes a pain phenomenon. And that's why you see a lot of these injuries where they say, well, he's got cartilage. I think Joe Mixon yes. is typical yes. of it. And the MRI shows that. And then they basically, what happens is each time he plays, his knee swells from the cartilage injury. And they decide, you know, they're not going forward. So they'll go and take out the piece of, of cartilage. Repairing it is much, takes a much longer time and much more of a blood supply issue. So the only thing the doctor's determining is the fact that there is no that the knee is damage. stable. Now, usually most teams have basically flat plate radiology. They don't have MRIs, which in an knee MRI would take 30 to 40 minutes to do anyway. Okay. So they, they are basically just taking flat plates if they're concerned about a fracture. So they'll be able to tell whether a bone's broken. But they're just doing a soft tissue exam, making sure a lock and a draw test that the knee is stable. And it was stable. So it's stable, and he came back into the game. But that was very crazy. I know you didn't see the injury, but it was... It was scary, Doc. So, you know, but part of the evaluation now that's in place is that besides the physical exam, the people in the NFL game, and this goes back to our prior conversation, yes. have access to all of these tapes to look at head injuries. So well, this is just a knee injury. This wasn't a head injury. I understand, though. but even knee injuries or any injury, because the mechanism of injury is very, very important, we usually don't have that ability for diagnosis. So if something has a bad mechanism, Right now, the doctors can actually keep somebody out of the game just based on mechanism right. when they look at the videotape of, of these things. And that's a big difference right now. There was always kind of the thought process of the Chinese firewall. Sure. But, you know, people like Parcells would give you a glare. Now, I believe there truly is a Chinese firewall between the medical staffs and the NFL teams. And, and that's probably a difference in the last three to five years because, again, we're getting to huge liability. Now, when you go down to the lower levels, okay, where people are concerned about scholarships and things like that, you're, you're really setting these kids up for a lot of, of issues because they want to go on the field. They want their scholarship. They want to be recruited. And professional athletes especially guys like a Cooper Cup, low draft pick or undrafted and always have to prove themselves, want to be on the field, don't want to lose their spot, have to play. You saw that and they don't make money at least to their second contract. Right. Going into what was really amazing to me is what do you think Julian Edelman, who's I think one of the more valuable players in the NFL, what do you think his, his, his salary is listed on spot track? Julian, I remember he was a free agent a couple of years ago. He took one visit to the New York Giants, then went back to the Patriots. He's probably only making like four four million dollars, four and a half, three million dollars. Wow, three million dollars. No, Less than Red Ellison. No, <laughs> that's interesting. But you wonder what his signing bonus was and, and how yeah, much. Yeah, you, you don't know, and he could be at the end and end of a deal. And this could be what we talked about well, with I can, Earl. I, I can certainly go to spot track and find yeah, that. Spot out. Tra- but you know what I what I saw also when I was checking is that what player in the NFL right now 
has made the most money in his career? Matthew Stafford? No. Really? Matt Castle? Somebody we spend half a Doc Jock talking about. Half a Doc Jock talking about. Eli Manning. Eli Manning. There you go. $255 million. $255 million. There you go. Um, yearly cash for Julian Edelman is $7.8 million. So he's doing okay. Yeah. And he got $7 million. He got $7 million. Signing bonus, he's okay. He's doing all right. Doc, we are just about out of time. Any final thoughts before we wrap up, sir? Well, I'm looking forward to the end of the, the, the baseball playoffs. Who do you think we're going to have in the World Series? You know, I, uh, I really thought the Ashes were the best team. The Red Sox certainly fighting their way, too. Uh, we'll see the Brewers can do it. I don't know that they can. I feel like the Dodgers have gotten in there a little bit. So I'll, I'll screw this. I'm not picking the Red Sox. I'll take a rematch from last year, Doc. Give me the Dodgers and give me the Astros. Yankees general manager, what do you do? If you're Brian Cashman, what do you do? You go out and sign Manny Machado is what you go do. You think so? I do. You, you think they need Manny Machado, or do you think they need There's, somebody like a Daniel Murphy? Or both. Both. <laughs> for sure. Both. Absolutely. You need, you need <laughs> and both. And what about pitching? I don't... You know what? Patrick Corbin's the one everyone's talking about. He's a New Yorker. He wants to play for the Yankees. Um, is he, if he... He wants, like, top 10 baseball money. Is he a top 10 pitcher in baseball? Absolutely not. That's the problem. I think you try to trade, right? If you sign Manny Machado, can you trade Andujar, who's probably the rookie of the year for a young pitcher? Maybe. Who is that pitcher? I, I don't know. And that's what makes it so hard. NBA Finals. NBA Finals. Give me the Golden State Warriors versus the Boston Celtics. I think you have to agree with that. There you go. And one last question. Yep. Who's the most famous athlete in the world? The most famous athlete in the world? Today. Today. There's three that come to mind immediately. I'm going to say all three. Yeah, you can say one. all three. LeBron James, Tiger Woods, Cristiano Ronaldo. I would have gone Ronaldo as the most famous in there, the world. There you go. Especially with the commercials. Fair enough. See you next week. <laughs> Absolutely. For Dr. Mitchell Roslin, my name is Greg Sussman. Thank you so much for watching and listening to Doc Jock. We will do this all again next Monday. We really appreciate you watching. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>